Let's look at Matt, or Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we'll start with verses 28 through 30. And it says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So it, it kicks off there, really interesting. And it says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. It, it kind of reminds me of, of what Jesus alludes to as the second greatest command in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, 39, when he says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so you, you kind of get that same vibe with this, but, but this is, is something even deeper, right? It's even greater. It's the, it's, the, it's the greatest covenant that you can have on this planet, right? Between another individual and God uh, together. And, and, and what we see here is, is this, this deeper meaning here, this Christ's love for his body, which is the church, models the way husbands are to love their wives like their own bodies. So, so the church is Christ's body and how he loves his body, the church, is how we're called to love our wives who are our own bodies, just as our own bodies, but, but it's in, a, in a crazy way, they, they are a part of our bodies. How and why? Because we read what? The two shall become one flesh. So a man who loves his wife in this way, is loving himself in an incredible way. The two shall become one, and so then the call is for man to love his wife as he loves his own body, we see. See, our bodies have always been a priority, just our physical bodies, right? Like, like today, uh, we look at um, even more so the focus on our bodies and, uh, you know, from, from pampering them to protecting them to nourishing. Uh, we're, we're so obsessed with our bodies, probably like no other time in our history. Um, and, and, and I would say there's, there's multiple reasons. One, we do understand our bodies a lot um, more than, than we used to. It seems like every week there's new studies telling you uh, about your body or, or a new superfood or, or this or that. And so uh, we, we have that in front of us and we do want to be healthy, but it is absolutely out of control the lengths, the, the amount of money we spend, right, to, to decorate, to protect, to enhance or comfort and display our bodies. Um, I, I recently read a, a study um, that I forget who did the study, who released the study, uh, but but th- but they said overall what they found in their studies is that the average adult spends on average one hundred and fifty five dollars a month on their health and fitness, you know, which over the span of a life I think comes out to like one hundred twelve thousand dollars or something like that, which is just crazy when you think about that. And and there's crazy numbers out there that celebrities have said or athletes have said they spend on their body each year. And, and so we, we look at what we spend, the things we go towards uh, to try and uh, take care of our bodies. And like I said, it's not all bad. Like you should take care of your body. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of them. But I think what we need to understand is there are, you know, there are limits to that. You know, it's, it's crazy how much money you can spend for your body. Uh, if you need a new bed, go look at, like how much a, a really nice bed costs is 
crazy. Or even a nice pillow. When you think of walking in and you're buying shoes, why do you buy shoes? Uh, what are you looking for in shoes? Uh, well, a lot of us, it's like, man, I want my feet to be comfortable, right? So you're trying to buy comfort there. When you think about trying on clothes, how does this look? How does this fit? Um, you know, how comfortable is it? All these things that, that, that we go out of our way, right, to, to take care of our body, like food, when you think of food that you put into your body and all of that. Now, some of us care more than others about that, but we're, we're probably like no other time more intentional about where that food is coming from, what that is, and also just what we're wearing, where, we, where we've bought something from, all, all of these things that essentially come back to how we view ourselves. And when we just look, like man is born with the instinct to care for their body. Now, if you're a man and you're like, no, you don't know me. I could care less about my body and all that. Well, uh, I don't think that's fully true. Uh, you know, like, like when we think about, uh, we, we feed our bodies. You feed yourself, I'm sure, right? We bathe. Uh, we protect our bodies from discomforts, from pain, from harm, like, right? Like regardless of who you are or how sloppy you think you are, you care about those things. And when our body is, is healthy, we have a sense of well-being, don't we? Like when you're feeling healthy about your body and, and you're getting the sleep and all these, uh, and, you know, and you're eating the right amounts and, and you're feeling in shape, you feel really good. You have energy. You, you approach the day differently and all of that. And, and so what this is saying is essentially just as you feel that way um, uh, about yourself physically in your own body, when a husband is caring for his wife with the same kind of care he has for his own body, he will have an even greater sense of pleasure and well-being as a byproduct of that kind of love. So husbands, just as you desire to satisfy your own needs, satisfy your wife's needs. Now, I forgot to say that before uh, this, before I started this, but, but remember, these teachings are important, whether you're married, whether you're not married, whether you were married, whether you're a widow, whether, whether you don't desire to be married at all, whatever. These are all important because the gospel is interwoven into all of this. And there's principles in this that connects with all of us. But yes, he is specifically right now addressing husbands. And he says, just as you desire, satisfy your own needs, satisfy your wife needs. Just as you long for intimacy, we long for intimacy, for joy, security, health. I mean, think about those things even right now. Joy, security, and health right now, a peace in our world right now, companionship, community, just as you desire for that, provide that for your spouse, for your wife. This idea of nourishing and cherishing her as, as he, the husband, nourishes and cherishes his own body is how Christ treats the church. It always goes back to Christ, right? He's the model. See, when, when, when we talk about the church and Christ, when she, being the church, needs strength, he gives her strength. When she needs encouragement, he gives her that. Philippians 4, 19, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So church, that's for us to hear. You need to know that God is saying, I will supply every need of yours according to not your glory, according to not your will, your way, according to his riches in glory in and through Christ Jesus. That is incredible. And that's what he does. That's what he brings to the table for the, the needs of his body. 
And so just as God supplies that, the loving husband should seek to supply all the needs of his wife. Now, I want to be clear, all the needs of his wife, not all the desires, uh, maybe. But she overall, when we think about your wife, she is a God-given gift to be loved, cared for, nourished, and cherished. To nourish a wife is to provide for her needs, to help uh, gift her and, 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 and move her uh, through love into a direction that matures her in her relationship with Jesus. To cherish her is to, through love and physical affection, give her warmth, comfort, protection, and security. Husbands, this is a question, how are you nourishing and cherishing your wife right now? Are you admiring her? Are you complimenting her? Because it's easy to get caught up in and go, well, uh, I would, Steve, but you don't know what she said. You don't know what she did and all of that. And, and you know, it comes back to last week. Aren't you thankful <laughs> that the love that we are freely offered through what Jesus did, are you not thankful that he didn't stack up that love against all of these things we've said or done to him, and yet he freely gave, he freely covered those offenses? And so the question is not, do they deserve your admiration? Do they deserve you complimenting and loving and cherishing and nourishing? But the question is, are you doing that? Love your wife as your own body, as your own self, even if it means sacrificing. I want you to just think for a moment, and maybe it's not right now, but maybe it was, right? Think of the sacrifices you're willing to make for your body, with your body, in order to achieve, maybe it's a physical goal. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the first uh, marathon uh, that, that I ran, and, and, and I remember disciplining my body in a way that I had never done because I had never ran like a really long distance race. That was never my thing. And so I remember uh, the discipline and the sacrifice from how you eat, what you eat, how many miles the discipline to do that, to get those miles in, to, to train and, and, and all of that, and even the sleep and, and those different things that I, I went through with my body. Or, or some of you, you think about you're just, you're on this goal of, of, of transformation with your body and, and you're doing things differently and, and you're not eating certain things and you're proactive in eating other things. You're working out, maybe you're hitting a number or, or a goal, like you've got one of those, uh, you know, uh, watches with, with the apps and everything and, and, and you're trying to hit these goals with it, with your body. I just want you to think how every time you do that, you sacrifice in order to physically accomplish those things. There's sacrifices, whether it's time, uh, whether it's finances, whether it's, it, it, it's, it's desires that you have that are actually unhealthy. And you go, man, I got to curb those for this goal. When you think about your marriage, what does this look like to sacrifice on behalf of your spouse, on behalf of loving her? in the way that you would love yourself, in the way that you would sacrifice for your own personal and physical goal, you should love her in that way. You should be willing to sacrifice just as you would sacrifice for your own goal. You should sacrifice for her. Just as, just as you've accomplished maybe certain things that nobody ever thought you could and, and it took dedication, hard work, and all of this, you should have that same mindset for her and how you love her and how you treat her. 
God's grace not only saves us, but brings us into Christ as members of his body. You know, last week we really talked about how, how you know, God uh, really, he, he saved us, right? And, and, and what's so awesome is he brings us into Christ. And, 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 and as a result of that, we are, we are not just part of his church. We are members of his body. <laughs> he is the head. We are the body. And so uh, what, what we see is, is this call that we are to model, we are to represent, be that in, incarnation of him, that, that representation of him on earth. That's what our calling is uh, for him. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, it talks about this joining. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He's joined to the Lord. He becomes one spirit with him. We see in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So everything is different. Everything is changed. I, I don't live for me. I don't live, uh, the, I'm not trying to reflect uh, the old Steve. I'm trying to reflect Christ's body to people. I'm trying to be a reflection of Jesus. I'm praying and hoping that when people interact, they see Jesus, not me. And and, and for sure, not the old me. And so he brings us into this, into this relationship, right? We we talked about last week how he's he's literally set us aside. He sanctified, set us aside to be his bride. And with that, not only are we his bride, but he brings us in as his body. Think of the person you know who is literally, when you think about somebody taking care of their, their body, you're like, oh, that's it. It's them. And you think of this person. Maybe, maybe they're a friend. Uh, maybe they're just somebody you follow on social media or you read about or, or whatever. And, and I want you to just think about that. Now, we hold these people like, man, it's incredible. But just imagine Jesus and his body. Now, now he's perfect. So he takes care of his body in a perfect way. Who's his body? Us. You know what this tells me? This is what's so exciting. And that's why, man, when we talk about marriage, it just, it excites me about God. And it brings me to Jesus every time. Is he's the best at taking care of his body. I'm his body. If you're a Jesus follower, you're part of that body. He is all in in cherishing, in nourishing, sanctifying, training you up. He is all in and growing you into what he's called you to be. And he is going to meet you. He's going to love you. He's going to make, uh, he's going to bring things into your life around you. He's going to allow you to influence and and everything he's going to do is perfect. It's going to be perfect. It's not going to be good. It's not going to have hangups. It's not going to sometimes let you down. Everything that he is going to do is perfect. Man, that gives me peace. Gives me confidence. Allows me to work through and wrestle through times that that I struggle. What I also see in this is once again, the calling to love my wife. Not, not because I'm perfect, but because I have his nature now. 
I, I've been unified uh, to Christ. And so I have the Holy Spirit that enables me to love in a different way. Verse 31, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, so what we see is a direct quotation from Genesis chapter two, verse 24. And, and we look at God's original design for marriage, right? The first marriage ceremony there. And, and what we see here is, is not only the permanence uh, uh, of marriage, but we see uh, the, the unity of marriage being emphasized. And so uh, what, what it uh, talks about here is first and foremost, what, is it, what does it say? Um, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and then hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So the first thing uh, that happens is a man's relationship to his parents uh, becomes superseded uh, by a higher loyalty, a loyalty to his wife. Okay, he leaves his parents and is joined to his wife. So, uh, you know, when we think about just the re that relationship between a parent and a, and a child, and we're going to go into parenting next week here, but parents are, uh, when we think about their role, parents aren't, aren't always, aren't, well, they're always to be loved and cared for, but they transition out of that control place, right? That, that, uh, that, you know, that, that place where they are going to dictate these decisions in your life uh, and that you now are out and you have taken um, that relationship that you've had and you honor it. You, you continue to honor them, but in even a greater degree, you enter into this covenantial relationship with God, and if you're um, a husband, God and your wife, and you go into this relationship and you become one flesh in this covenantal bond with your wife. And I think one of the things that, that I just want to quickly say for parents is this. As parents, we need to train up and help our kids to seek out Jesus, knowing that this is designed for them to leave and to, and to enter into potentially uh, this, this marriage union with someone else. I need to do my part in training up my child to hear Jesus's voice, to respond to Jesus's voice, to seek Jesus's direction, because there is a time that, my, uh, that one of my kids or all of them will say, bye dad, and, and they will enter into this relationship and, and it's going to be their relationship. It's no longer uh, just me and my boys. It's now they're in this relationship with someone else. And now they're going to have this incredible opportunity uh, and, and this incredible responsibility uh, to raise, you know, a family, to, to be a godly husband in that. And, and when I think about that, I think, man, that's encouraging and exciting. But it also reminds me of my purpose, even as a father. And, and, and also, I think it's, it's really hard for us, but we have to allow allow, if you have grown up uh, kids that are married, you have to allow uh, that marriage to cultivate and to grow. And if we're continuing to interject, if we're continuing to try and maintain that same authority over them that we had, we're, we're, we're going to be in danger of losing sight of 
what even the calling is. And for them, this special calling to leave and then to cleave to the person, to their spouse. So the husband and wife become one flesh here. So leave uh, mother, father, go into this new relationship. And when we look at them, uh, this covenantal bond becoming one. So the, the verb uh, in the Greek literally means, when we talk about holding fast, it means to be glued or cemented together. Uh, so when we see this like intense description of what this bond is to be between a husband and wife, uh, and I've alluded to this when, when I first kicked off the series on marriage uh, and, and talking about that bond and and that design, uh, you know, that's why we see in like Malachi 2.16 where God says, I hate divorce. uh, It's because it destroys what he's designed to be an unbreakable bond. Like that was the goal. That was the intent of marriage. Uh, entering into that was like literally this cemented bond. This You're glued together. This, this incredible covenantal uh, agreement between someone else and God together. And you are cemented. You are glued in that. And so when a man and woman are joined in marriage, Jesus said they are no longer two, but they become one. What God has joined together, he says this in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So that was the design. That was, that was the, the hope as, as, as marriage um, is something that you go into together, the two becoming one. As Christ is one with his church, husbands are one with their wives. Therefore, when we think of um, a husband harming his wife, he's harming himself. When you think about a husband who maybe destroys his marriage, he's destroying a part of, of himself, essentially. It's interesting, in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, and this is huge, your prayers may not be hindered. So a husband who's not considerate of his wife, who doesn't honor and respect his wife and treats her poorly and all this, he is defective in his spiritual life uh, to the point where it says right there, his prayers will be hindered. So when when you look at this, if you are a, a, a husband right now and you are not treating your wife how you should and you are not uh, respecting, loving her, uh, honoring her, all these things uh, that, that we see um, and treating her unfairly, it is messing with your relationship with God. It will affect you spiritually. It will. As a Jesus follower, your relationship with God is not right if your marriage is not right. If you're the one that is treating uh, your spouse in this way. There's no way you can treat your spouse in this way and yet have your relationship with God be right. That doesn't work. It just doesn't. Because if that's right, it will in turn lead to this being right. Okay, um, and, and if this is 
off because it's not just a covenant, remember, with the other person. It's also with who? With God. And so I don't understand why we think that we can almost like hide how horrible we are as a spouse to our spouse, like to our wife. I can think I can be horrible and my wife's name is Lindsay. So I think I could be just horrible to Lindsay. Demeanor, rip her down. Uh, all these things, not not at all care, not honor her, not respect her, not, not lead her in love and all of these things. I think I could do that, but I think I could still go to God and be like, hey God, I love you. I can't wait to go to church. Can't wait to worship. Oh, I'm all about you. Like, like we think that's okay, some of us. We think that that's okay. That's crazy. You can't fool God. He says to love that other person. Like, like your own body. He, and, and, and he says, your model is Jesus in the church. There is no greater love than that. He says, that's your model. And if you're a Jesus follower, I've equipped you to do that. I've called you to do that. I've told you how to do that. So if you're not doing that, there's no way you can just uh, pretend and act like things are okay and your spiritual life is being affected by it. There's just no way to explain it otherwise. There's just no way. Um, about a month and a half ago, I, I was playing with my boys and, and I went to throw a ball up into the trampoline that they were jumping in and, and I realized, yeah, I'm getting older because when I threw the ball up, my ankle, I don't even know how I did it. It just, it just turned over and I, I fell on the ground. That's how bad it was. Uh, another person from our church was standing there, and uh, I'd love to say they had compassion. They were laughing, but they did have compassion. But I hurt my ankle, and I remember the next few days, I was trying to pretend with my wife like I wasn't hurt, like like I'm okay. And and but she would notice me limping. She would notice my face change when I tried to put pressure on it, and 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 she was like, "Stop it! You can't fool me. I know that that's hurt. Do you need to do something with that?" And and it's so crazy how just like with our physical bodies, we do that when it comes to our marriage and the representation of our body and the two becoming one. We think that we can fool God and act like, "Oh no, God, we're good. We can fool other people. Oh no, we're good." But in reality. Reality, God sees it all and he says, no, you're not. And it's, it's affecting you. It's affecting you. In verses 32 and 33, it says this. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this mystery is profound. Paul declares that marriage is this great mystery, right? And we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But when we look at just this great mystery, the Greek word Paul used here has, a, has really this lexical range that includes the idea of a secret. And it's used to mean this some wondrous unlooked for truth that God's revealing through his spirit. And what's, what's the secret of marriage? Well, well, he literally answers that question, doesn't he? Uh, he says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So, so he says, this mystery is, is this incredible uh, revealing that I'm bringing to the surface right now. And what is that secret? Well, once again, uh, as he alluded to, I think in verse 25, he says, I'm talking about Christ in the church. It's the message 
This mystery, it's the message that what husbands should do for their wives is what Jesus did to bring us into union with himself. He gave himself up for us. He willingly went to the cross and paid the penalty of our sins, our guilt, our shame. He removed it all, the condemnation, so that we could be, what? United with him. He forgave us. He brought grace. So that, why? So he could set us apart so that we could be his, united with him. Romans 6, 5, it says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And not only are we united in this way with him, but 2 Peter uh, 1.4 talks about this new nature. Uh, It says, by which he is granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Did you see that? So that you may have become partakers of this divine nature. So I am brought into this union with him and then also I am given this divine nature. How exciting is that? Because that old nature, man, that was full of some nasty stuff. Now I'm given this divine nature to be able to do this, to be able to go into this marriage, to be able to love in this way, to be able to love anybody in this way. We see that Jesus gave up his his glory and power and became the servant. He died to his own interests and looked to our needs and interests instead, modeling this. Paul says that's the key, not only to understanding marriage, but to living it out. And that's why he's able to tie marriage in Genesis chapter 2 to Jesus and the church. As one commentator put it, Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage, he already had Christ and the church in mind. This is one of God's great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. See, in in Ephesians 5, Paul shows us that even on earth, Jesus did not use his power to oppress us, but sacrificed everything to bring us into union with him. And you just think about that. Like he's so powerful and he came and he did not come and bring oppression like so many of these domineering, I'm taking charge and I'm taking over these people. You're mine now. What would, when we hear people say you're mine now, what does that mean? You're under them. You're like, it means oppression. That's what we feel, right? But no, when he came and brought this leadership, this headship, the, the, this, this, this new way of leading, what, what he did was you're mine through how I serve you. I love you. I'm going to give everything up for you. Totally different. Because he could have said, essentially, I'm here. This is what you're going to do first. And yet he said, I have come to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to model this this service, this this way that wasn't oppressive, wasn't restrictive, it brought about freedom, brought about joy, the people that interacted with Jesus, the people that experienced that kind of leadership and headship, and, and we've seen that when it is done biblically, when marriage is biblical, people experience those same things, and what it does is it 
answers those objections that people have towards marriage or to marriage when they say, oh, it's, when you think about biblical marriage, it's oppressive, it's, it's restrictive, like, like no, it, it's not. And the other thing that, that what we've seen in Ephesians chapter 5 is that the demand of how to be married, oh, that's impossible, nobody can do that. Well, no, because we see what he does. We see how he equips us, how he helps us, how he meets us where we're at. And I love um, when, when, when we think about, oh, this is, this is so hard, but Paul then says, hey, start right here, which is essentially what he's saying. And, and Tim Keller summarizes uh, this thought so well when he says, as Paul says, start here. He says, do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. Do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. This is the great mystery or the secret that the gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another. Isn't it incredible? God's new people, the church, are brought into his kingdom and his family through faith in Christ. This mystery is great. The implications of this truth are huge. It's so hard for our minds to even fully comprehend. But this mystery, this, 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 this mystery was the purpose that was, that was hidden to, to these previous ages. But now it's revealed. It's on the scene through Jesus. And we see that he's the bridegroom and they are his bride. As Revelation 21.9 says, we know now what it's supposed to look like. We know what we've been equipped to do, and we know how it feels to be on the receiving end of this marriage. Don't you love that? Like what he calls us to do, if you're a Jesus follower, you've already been on the receiving end of what this union is designed to look like. You've already experienced the grace of, of what um, this marriage is supposed to bring uh, into your life. You, you've already experienced that forgiveness on a daily level, that sanctification, all of these things uh, you have experienced. And, and, and so when he calls us to do this, he first extends that to you. He brings you into that marriage and he says, now that you've experienced this, now you go model this. You go do this, be this. We're so equipped to do this. Closes what in verse 33 says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And, and I alluded to this verse a couple weeks ago, but, but we see the use of however here is it's intended to end the discussion and then emphasize what's most essential to remember. And what we see is love and respect. We see this love and this respect that responds so the husband's love sacrifices and serves to enable his wife to become what God intends her to be. And her submission and respect expresses her response to his love and her desire that he too will become all that God intends him to be. So as he loves, she responds. And it is one of the most beautiful pictures that we could paint as it points to God as it points to Christ and his church. See, at the end of all this, as we kind of close our time of marriage here, here's the reality. God created marriage. So if you say, I hate marriage, God created it. Jesus modeled marriage. And then lastly, the spirit empowers marriage. So we, we know that there's a design from God. 
We know that Jesus modeled it. And then we know, thirdly, that the Spirit empowers it. He empowers you to be able to do this, to love this way. See, the good news, right, the gospel, is that Christ died for those who could not, could not uh, you know, meet these demands perfectly, right? Like, we make mistakes. And so, so the gospel is there continually that, you know, to cover uh, those mistakes. Because, you know, when we think about loving in this way, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to get in some fights. You're going to say things you wish you wouldn't. You're going to treat your spouse and, 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 and just, there's just going to be things that happen. But the beauty is of the good news is that Christ died for us <laughs> who aren't perfect. And the good news, the gospel is also that the spirit daily renews and empowers us. See, the gospel leads to us being, have, being, being able to have the Holy Spirit who daily renews and, and who empowers us as we're sensitive to him. Um, and so when, when you think about just what this looks like. Every day, every day, you, you get to just receive, and, and every day, you get to know that, that God's grace is there. It meets you there. And so whether you've had a horrible yesterday, whether, whether you had um, a, a rough evening together, whether just, man, things are struggling, you have the ability to wake up each and every day experiencing God's grace and forgiveness and love in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our struggles, knowing that that's going to empower you, uh, uh, knowing that, that because of that, today could be better than yesterday was. You get to make improvements daily as you walk through the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he will help you, like whether it's repenting, uh, whether it's reviving uh, that marriage, whether it's restoring something, whether it's deciding today, unlike yesterday, I'm actually going to serve how I need to serve. Maybe it's today, unlike yesterday, I'm going to start tearing down these walls of bitterness, these walls of things that I'm still holding on to against my spouse, these, these, these things that we just said they're there and we're just not going to deal with them. I'm going to start ripping those down today. I can do that knowing that I'm not perfect, but knowing because I have a perfect Savior and knowing that I have got the Holy Spirit who is there to empower me, to enable me, to attack those things, even in spite of my failures yesterday, because of the grace of God, you get to wake up and start making changes daily so that you can love like this. Dwell on the love of Jesus daily as you seek to live out a spirit-filled marriage if you're married. And here's the thing. If you're not married, enjoy Jesus' love for you. Enjoy the ultimate groom, Jesus. <laughs> enjoy, the, bask every day in the reality that he has set you aside to be his. That's not just like, oh, that's for married people. No, 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 no. We all, as Jesus followers, are in that union with him, right? We all, that nature, we're in his family. We're part of his body. And so you get to experience that daily, whether you're married or not. And that needs to be enough for us. It's incredible that he would love us uh, in that way. And then out of that, I would tell you this. What's the second greatest command out of that? To love your neighbor as yourself. So you make a choice, whether you're married or not, that you're going to love other people like you love yourself. And you are going to honor God in that. And you're going to see things happen in relationships and in love that 
point not to you, but point to God, and they point ultimately to the gospel message because our marriages should be a picture of the gospel. People should want a relationship with Jesus through seeing and observing our marriages. Amen? God's so incredible. Even when he invented marriage, he already had the saving work of Jesus in mind. He loves us so much. Let's remember that and be encouraged today. Be encouraged, even in spite of maybe some failures and, and things in your past or disconnects. Man, be encouraged uh, because there's one thing that's so clear is knowing that he loves me in this way and that he continues to walk with me, that he continues to, to, to say, my grace is sufficient for you, Steve. Power is perfected in weakness. I know that, that in spite of just uh, some of these strongholds that I continue to have and these struggles and these things that are in my past that come up, I know that daily and moment by moment that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can make changes. I can grow. I can be a better husband to my wife. You can too. Let's pray.